0: Pastor Xavier reads with a superior plan for accomplishing order and effectiveness. The chain of command, based on authority and
1: submission, has nothing to do with inferior, but has everything to do with effectiveness. First, for the orderly and effectiveness of family life. Second, for order of society at large. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you cannot ignore these two principles. They exist in everything that is productive and effective. You remove these things, you have utter confusion and numbness.
0: Listen Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Unfortunately, even a legitimate protest protected by freedom of expression can sometimes have disastrous unintended consequences when the message is unwittingly miscommunicated. And just as Scripture reveals that there's nothing new under the sun, Pastor Xavier draws our attention today to an example of the women in the early church at Corinth who, by expressing their Christian liberties, caused others to stumble. Let's listen.
1: First 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 2 through 16. A boy has been dealing with matters of carnality in the Corinthian church, as you know, and now deals with the women who refuse to wear their veil during worship in the church. There seems to have been a women's liberation movement to an extent going on in Corinth, and the women were not... Um, Conducting themselves in the best interest towards their husbands and families, which also reflected on the church. We think that uh, women's liberation and movements of liberation are something new, but they're not. If you've studied history, they're all over the place. Uh, I grew up in the 60s, and that's when the women were liberated and free love and everything else. And um, now we have the uh, consequences of that type of philosophy that progresses even more. And so... Um, Um, Liberation sounds good, but it usually doesn't bring freedom. It usually brings enslavement and destruction. They all have uh, one uh, thing in common. They upset and alter and ruin God's effectiveness created for the order of the family. I'm not speaking against equality and rights and benefits. That's a given. But of women who are in competition with the role of the man wanting to blur cl- the clear lines and the distinction between men and women and their respective roles according to the design of God. This is the humanistic agenda. This is the liberal agenda. This is the agenda that comes from the pit of hell. Satan is the author of confusion and uh, rebellious towards the things of God. He deceived Eve in Genesis Chapter 3, 2 Corinthians eleven three will tell us. 2 Timothy two eleven twelve 12 gives us a prohibition unlimited of the church because of that. And he weakened the nations and made the world as a wilderness destroy cities and opened them not to the house of his prisoners, Isaiah fourteen twelve and 17 tells us. All these passages describe Satan's character. He loves to destroy, rebel, pervert, confuse, and oppose the things of God. God has created a perfect order for mankind that is, in yielding to it, you and I would receive the best benefits and blessings in life. Again, the problem Paul is facing is one of women who are refusing to wear their veils in public worship, bringing reproach and shame to their husbands as well as their families in the church. Uh, Veil was uh, a sign of um, modesty and uh, submission in uh, Greek culture, Roman culture. Rome kind of messed everything up. But prior to Rome, the cultures, they all had distinctive things to so sign of submissive and modesty and all that. And it spoke of a woman having authority over her, uh, whether it be her father at home or whether it be her husband who married her. Simple. Only the prostitutes of Corinth left their veils off and cut their hair real short. Now, ladies that have short hair this morning, don't get tweaked out, okay? As we're going to see, it's a cultural problem, okay? So don't walk out of here saying something I'm not saying. Perhaps the Christian women were... Um, saying that there was really no difference between male and female now that we're in Christ Jesus. No Jew, Gentile, bond free, so on and so forth, you know? I mean, people sometimes, well-intended, take something that, that is, is permissible, but, but it carried away to an extent that it becomes really destructive to this Christian uh, life, and we have to be careful. So Paul deals with the uh, cultural problem of women dishonoring their husband by not worrying veils in their public worship and it consists of three very progressive and logical movements here. Let me read our text. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors His head, But every woman who prays and prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for this is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a woman or for a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God." But woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of the woman, nor woman independent of the man in the Lord. For as a woman came from man, even so man also came through woman. But all things are from God." Judge among yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Paul deals with the cultural problem of women dishonoring their husbands by not wearing the veil in public worship, which consists of these three movements. First, verse 2 through 5, the truths formulated about the cultural problem. Secondly, 6 through 12, the arguments articulated to resolve the cultural problems. In 13 through 16, the conclusion delineated by the culture. About the cultural problem. And he goes one, two, three. Lays it out. Let's begin here with the truths formulated about the cultural problem. Look at verses two through five. In verse two. The apostle Paul complimented the Corinthians. What a shock. Now I praise you brethren. You, that you have remembered me in all the things and keep traditions which I delivered them to you. So Paul affirms the Corinthians at this point being a high point of the letter. He says, I praise you. It means to commend or to approve. Now, he has it up to this point. The word uh, appears six times in the New Testament. Five belong to Paul. Four of them are in the letter. The other three are in the negative. In um, Later on, in Corinthians uh, 17, 1, 22, where he speaks about, I praise you not. Or, or 14, uh, where he's getting down. And again, remember, the Corinthian letter is a corrective letter. But sometimes we forget that, again, these were some, even as chapter 10 tells us. Uh, but because he's dealing with the troubled people and the, uh, and the people with factions and that, we think the entire church was like that. And most likely it wasn't. You know, just like we speak in generality, sometimes we say, you always say that. You always do that. Well, that's not true. But we're so overwhelmed by that thing that that becomes the whole thing. And so we have to be careful. Now, he again addressed them as brethren, born in the family of God. Through the word of the Holy Spirit. He commended them for their loyalty to him. They had remembered Paul in all things, most likely to the questions is referenced here. That they remembered that he was the founder of the church. Then they wrote back to him to ask him all these questions he has been answering. So they, 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 they had him in heart and they were thinking about him. And he commends them here. Uh, and it's the perfect tense. You have remembered me indicating the durative present. And so, they looked to him as the authority. Otherwise, they wouldn't have written that letter. Now, they had, for the most part, kept the traditions Paul delivered to them. Notice he says there, the word keep simply means to hold fast. A firm possession in the present tense. So, they were holding many things, but he's only dealing with the problem area. So, sometimes we get overwhelmed by this in the letter. Now... The reference to tradition here is oral or written, whether it be by the epistle or by oral teaching that he taught when he was there. The same word is used in the gospel for the teaching of Jesus, sometimes for the traditions of men. Second Thessalonians 2.15, 3.6 speaks about the traditions that which handed down orally or written also by Paul. Now, the word appears 13 times in the New Testament and the context will determine whether it's God's revelation or man's own words. And he delivered, imparted, committed to them firsthand. An indicative eras active when he was with them. Now, look at verse 3. The Apostle Paul communicated God's priority of honor by the principle of authority and submission. Don't miss it. Paul begins with the headship of Jesus over every man. The first level of corresponding. And here's the goal. Honor. It's easy to lose it in the text, but it's honor all the way through. What's going to honor God? The husband, the wife, honor. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The contrast is marked by the word but. They had held fast to the past instructions of Paul. He wanted them to know, perceive with the mind, what he's about to say. That's fine you did this, but I want you to grab a hold of what I'm going to call attention to now. The word head here is being used figuratively in the sense of authority over the other. And he gives us three levels of correspondence. The article is present here. The head indicating the supreme ruler with the idea of superiority. Okay? But never of inferiority. Okay? It's just a greater authority. Very important. No man is independent of Jesus as a believer. Christ is supreme. Supreme authority. Okay? Okay? Now Paul stated the headship of man over the woman, the second level of corresponding honor The head of woman is man. Once again, the figure of head is used for the sense of authority over the other. The interesting thing is that there is no article in the Greek like there is for the headship of Christ over the man. And this is important. This omission of the article means that the man is not the head of the woman in the same sense that Christ is to the man. Christ is supreme. The man is not supreme. He's sinful. He can make mistakes. He's not God. Are we we clear on that? Okay? The authority of the man is delegated authority to direct care and protect his wife. All right? Not supreme authority as Christ, not superior to the woman, but nevertheless, the authority over the woman. Okay? Not as a dictator, not as some idiot, but as a loving type of Christ. Ephesians 5. Now notice Paul stated the headship of God over Christ, the third level of corresponding honor. And the head of Christ is God. God. Once again, the article is missing, revealing that God the Father is not head over Christ in the same way that Christ is head over the man. The Father is not superior to the Son in authority. Both are God. The Father does not have superior authority over the Son. Both are all powerful, all knowing, all present. But Christ submitted himself willingly and lovingly for the sake of the efficiency of salvation and redemption of man. You understand? He took on flesh. The last Adam. Alright? Depending on the Father to complete the work of salvation. And if you're going to focus on inferiority, ladies, then you would have to say that Christ is inferior to the Father because He submitted Himself to it. And that would be blasphemous. Christ is not inferior to the Father. But He submitted Himself. Here it is. Here's the key for efficiency to accomplish the goal of salvation. Simple. The chain of command Based on authority and submission has nothing to do with inferiority, but has everything to do with effectiveness. First, for the orderly and effectiveness of family life. It goes all the way back to Genesis. He's going to pull up Genesis. Second, for order of society at large. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you cannot ignore these two principles. They exist in everything that is productive and effective. Someone has the authority, someone carries it out. Someone gives the orders, someone does it. Simple. Sometimes you give the orders, sometimes you carry out the orders. You wear different hats in society. You understand? You remove these things, you have utter confusion, and ineptness. But the focus of the headship of all three levels is honor by recognizing and respecting the authority. Are we clear? Real simple. now, Look at 4 and 5. The Apostle Paul correlated the principle of honoring the authority of one's headship to the cultural problem at Corinth. Paul concluded that since Christ is the head of man, a man should not cover his head. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. The man is in public worship of the church. This is the context. The man is praying. The man is prophesying. The man, if he covered his head, would be dishonoring his own headship, as a man, and his head, Christ. The man, by covering his head, makes a woman of himself by acting as if he has a human head over him, apart from Christ. The man has no other head over him except Christ. Simple. The word dishonors means disgrace. Or to be, bring shame. It'll be used through the text. Jewish men would cover their heads in the synagogue. Christian men were to not cover their head. Christianity is not an extension of Judaism. Look at 5. Paul concluded that since the man is the head of the woman, the woman should cover her head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For this is one and the same as if her head were shaved. The woman in the public worship of the church, again, is the context. She is praying. She is prophesying. The woman, if she does not cover her head, would be dishonoring her head, shaming her own person and her husband. The woman, by not covering her head, is attempting to be as a man and taking honor that is not hers, resulting in shame to her. Simple. The city of Corinth had the prostitutes of Aphrodite, as you know, the temple there. And they did not cover their head. And they also solicited those to fulfill the sexual rights of Aphrodite's. This is a cultural problem, okay? We'll make the applications as we move along in principle, not straight across. We don't have a temple of Aphrodites here. The Christian woman by not covering her head with a veil would be confused for a prostitute of the temple dishonoring her husband, her head. The woman not covering her head with a veil would be viewed by people. As if she were shaved. Prostitutes would shave their head, corns at times. And adulterous women would be shaven for their crime. So the implication culturally is very pertinent. You don't want to be mistaken for a prostitute or an adulteress, right? Let me give you a perspective about the cultures of the day. The Greek view of women. Prostitution was part of life. Demosthenes said, uh, We have courtesans for the sake of pleasure, concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation, wives to bear our legitimate children, and be guardians of our household affairs. The respectable woman led a secluded life never appeared in public. Xenophon said that the woman was to see as little as possible, hear as little as possible, and ask as little as possible. Divorce had no legal procedure. The Roman view of women wasn't any better. Seneca said women were made to be divorced and divorced to be married. Kind of sounds like our society today, huh? He also said that women dated the years by their husbands. Marshall tells of a woman who had had ten husbands. Jerome tells of a woman having 23 husbands and she was his 21st. But today, four, five, six marriages is not anything shocking. Even three or four in the church. Because we become so secular. The Jewish view of women wasn't any better. Though we, thought, we think it is, but it really wasn't if you looked at it. Though it was the highest view of women, it still was low. In their morning prayer, a Jew would pray like this. I thank you, God, that you didn't make me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. The law would never be taught to a woman. Divorce was first looked at as a shameful thing. By the time Jesus was on earth, it was a common thing. Shemaiah was um, conservative. He he would not allow any type of divorce except for adultery. Uh, Halal, you remember by the L liberal he said for any cost. she burnt your bagels or whatever, you could do it. And they used Deuteronomy 24 when we went through marriage. We looked at that, okay? Again, a real corruption of the text, but nevertheless. Uh, A woman in in Jewish society could never divorce a man unless he was insane, couldn't bear children, and I think there might, be lepers, maybe the third one. That's it. So the truths formulated about the cultural problem were undeniable here, okay? He states them up front. And he gives that chain of command. Second, he gives the argument. The arguments here are articulated to resolve the cultural problem. And they are the heart, actually. Without this, then it would be just Paul's opinion. Verse 6 through 12. In verse 6, the apostle Paul presented his first argument from the standpoint that a woman had two options based on the truths he had stated. Paul declared the first option is to... Shave the woman's head. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. The condition is rebellion on the part of the woman. If a woman is not covered, that's the implication. The word covered is veil, just wrapped around, something to put over them. This would indicate a behavior that would dishonor her husband being taken for a prostitute. The appropriate action to be taken is to comply with her rebellion then. Let her be shorn. That would be the decision. The statement is an imperative present middle command. Literally, let her have herself shorn. Not a suggestion. That she was to submit herself that way. That would be the proper thing to do if she doesn't want to avail herself. The command is based on the dishonor of her husband. By disobeying the principle of her submission to her head, the authority over her. Now, this would bring dishonor to her and her husband, shame and disgrace. The statement is a command, an imperative heiress. The woman would be giving up her choice to honor her husband. The will of God for the woman is protective honor, always. Now notice still in 6, Paul declared the second option is to cover her head. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. The condition is horror on the part of the woman. Having the thought of having her head shaven, then he says, But if it is shameful for the woman, dishonorable, disgraceful. And Paul saying that, Paul knew. That she was going to say, are you kidding me? He said, well then cover your head. You do that to your child. They're being rebellious. You know, go to your room. Well then knock it off. Simple. Paul knew this would be the case when he said that. Notice the appropriate action is to be taken to honor her husband. Let her be covered. It's one or the other. The statement again is an imperative, present, middle command. Let her have her head covered. Not a suggestion again. The command is based on the honor of her husband as her head and her own as a godly, submissive woman.
0: Xavier Reese, illustrating with the Corinthian Church the divine harmony and simple truths of proper submission and authority within the family of God. And there's much more to come next time. But if you've missed any part of this important study or wish to pass it along to a friend, you can request a copy. And it's simply titled, Corinthian Women in Public Worship. It's available on CD for just $4. Once again, the title you want to ask for is Corinthian Women in Public Worship. Nine one one zero seven, and thanks for including the call letters of this station when you contact us. Next time, Pastor Xavier Reese explains how following modern trends can run the risk of committing a spiritual faux pas. Be back then for the simple truth.